All right, so Ephesians chapter 6, just getting right into the sermon. Uh, We're talking about parenting today. It's going to be a little bit shorter uh, just due to time, but we invite you to take notes. Uh, You should have gotten that bulletin when you walked in. If you open it up in the middle there, there's a section where you can take notes and put living what we learn at the end and application points. Uh, So make sure and take advantage of that. Also, take advantage of uh, this book. It's called Parenting by Paul Tripp. Uh, One of the best books that I've seen that combines the theological with the practical on parenting. We have these in the lobby, so you can stop by the Connect desk and grab one of those. We have a conference that we're going to tell you more about on parenting in January. And the reason we do all that is because, I don't know if you know this, but parenting is is hard. (laughs) Newsflash, parenting can be hard. If you're a parent in here, you can relate to this, that, that parenting can be the most exciting, beautiful, amazing thing, but it can also be the most exhausting, challenging thing. And it can be all those things at the same time, right, parents? I think a good example of this is my 18-month-old. Just last week, my wife and I looked over, and she had a little hairbrush, and she was brushing her hair all by herself, 18 months old. Tell your friends. It was this really impressive thing. My wife looked at each other in that moment, and we just said, she is the sweetest. And then in the very next moment, my little 18-month-old daughter walked over, took the brush, and threw it in the trash. And that's her thing now. Listen, I still don't know where our TV remote is, but I'm convinced that it was taken out in the trash weeks ago. And my, and my daughter just did that to make me miserable. Like, I... This is parenting, right? That sums it up, that they can be the sweetest, and they can also be so sinful, right? That's parenting. And so we need to talk about what does that look like biblically. And I know some of you don't have kids, maybe don't want to ever have kids, but listen, it takes a village, right? In our case, it takes a church to raise kids. We need your help. You need to partner with our parents, so we all need to lean in on this together. Let's look at it together. Ephesians 6, uh, Ephesians 6, verse 1. It says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. So we see two commands for children in there. Paul says we should obey and honor. Obey is to listen with the intent to carry it out. Honor is to treat with respect based on someone's role. Verses 2 and 3, he quotes the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, and he explains that this command has a, has a corresponding promise. He talks about that things may go well with you and you may live long, and it's not just length of life, but it's a quality of life, that this is the way God set it up, that he set it up for children to obey and honor their parents, that it may go well with you. And listen, I know for a lot of parents, this is your life verse, right? You love these verses. Like some of you aren't even Christians, but you got these verses tatted on your ankle, right? You love these verses, but listen, it's our job as parents to help cultivate this obedience. It doesn't just happen. Our job as parents is to help cultivate it. And so we need to figure out what kind of obedience is this. So it's really important that you look at verse 1 with me. It says, obey your parents in the what? Help me out here. Obey your parents in the, in the Lord. Verse 1 says, in the Lord. Verse 4 says, of the Lord. That when we look at parenting biblically, that it's not simply morality. That when we look at parent biblically, listen, you need to hear me. It's not simply obedience that we're after. 
That's not what we're after as Christians. We're after more than that. We're after an obedience that's saturated, that's rooted in the Lord, that it's connected to the gospel. Remember, as we look at the book of Ephesians, it's a letter, right? Originally, it didn't have the chapter numbers and the verses. We added that later because this is a lot, and we need to be able to find stuff, right? And so we added that later, but originally it was just one letter. They would have read it all at once. And you have chapters 1 through 3 that are all about this glorious grace. And then chapters 4 through 6 get into how that we live that out. It's an identity that changes our activity. And listen, as Christians, sometimes what we do is we take a theology of grace vertically, and we love that, but then we transfer it horizontally to a theology of works. We think, oh, I know that way it works that way with God, but in my marriage, in my sexuality, in my parenting, it's more about works. And it can't be that way. Paul didn't intend it to be that way. This is all joining together, meshing together beautifully, and it's painting a picture of a life-altering gospel, one that doesn't just bring salvation, but that brings transformation in every aspect of our lives. Listen, as Christians, what are we saying about the gospel? When we say, it's good for me and God, but all of these significant relationships in my life, well, that's different. What are we saying to an onlooking world about the power of the gospel when we leave it at the door to go love our wife or parent our kids? We can't do that. We take it with us in parenting. And so that means a few things. It means we don't just lead with do what I say as parents. We don't do that as, as Christians. It means we don't just say because I said so. That parenting isn't just positive or negative reinforcement, rewards or loss of rewards. It's not just rules or consistency. Why? Listen, because you're not training a dog you're raising a child, right? So you can do all those things. You can create patterns, and you can read Baby Wise, and you can read all the books about how to control your teenager and all the magazines and watch those shows on today, but you can lose your child because they never believe in Jesus, because you never get to their, their heart. And so as parents, as Christian parents specifically who trust in Jesus vertically, that it's about grace and it's saturated in grace, that extends out horizontally. So we want to cultivate that as parents as we get to the, the heart. That we want to, ultimately, we want to raise up worshipers, followers of Jesus, not just obedient children. And so some of you are thinking, well, Tim, that, that sounds great. Like, that sounds phenomenal. How do we do that? Well, he helps us in verse 4. Look at that verse with me. Verse 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, notice he addresses fathers specifically. You might wonder, why? Like, do mothers not matter? No, it's not the case. He's emphasizing the father as the leader, that the father should set the tone. He should take responsibility. And I don't know, moms, if you, like, bristle back against that and push back, like, how come he's not talking about me? Is it just about the Father? But it, you need to just think a little bit more about that if you're offended by that. Because I think if we really thought about this, that none of us would complain, right? That none of us would complain. Like, look at our culture and think, you know what the problem is with our country these days? Is fathers just aren't stepping up enough. Fathers just aren't taking enough responsibility, 
that if we really thought about that, no one in here would complain about that, right? Because that's not happening, right? Fatherlessness is an epidemic in our culture, and it seems like it might have been for Paul because he's stressing the father, and so it includes mothers, but it starts with fathers. Do you see that? And so this includes all of you if you're a mom or a dad, but it starts with the dad because the dad is the leader of the home. He sets the tone. He takes responsibility. And listen, I know some of you have seen this in your own lives. I've seen it over the years as a pastor. I've met with so many people over the years, and you talk to them about conflict, about pain in their relationships, in their family, in their marriage, in their friendships, with their roommates. And you start to ask questions and pull back the layers, and almost always it can be traced back to the father. The father wasn't there spiritually. The father there wasn't there emotionally. The father wasn't there at all. Some of you have experienced that in this room. The role of the father is so important. And so Paul stresses that, and we need to stress that, and we need to look at that together as we, we parent that it starts with the dad, it includes the mom, and this is what he calls us to do. Look at the verse. He says, don't provoke your child to anger. He says, bring them up in discipline. And he says, give them instruction. And so he's talking about being gracious, that we don't provoke to anger, that we discipline, that we're firm, and that we give instruction, that we're wise. And remember, all of this is of the Lord. He says that in verse 4. It's connected to God and his grace. And so gracious, firm, and wise. We're going to break those down just briefly together. Look at uh, gracious, that we wouldn't provoke to anger. What does that mean? It means that we wouldn't be helicopter parents, right? That we wouldn't be controlling and overbearing parents. That we wouldn't give arbitrary rules. Right? Does your parents ever do this? Like, here's the line in the house. You can't cross it. And then you cross it, and nothing really ever happens. And you're like, why did I... Why, why couldn't we cross that line? And your dad's like, because I said so. And you're, you never, to this day, you're like wrestling with, I don't understand. Why couldn't we cross the line? Because it was an arbitrary rule. And, and as parents and as fathers, we don't just give arbitrary rules to, to extend our authority. We give things that are purposeful. We give the what and we give the why. And so we're not overbearing. We don't give arbitrary rules. We don't constantly pressure our kids. I know a few weeks ago, my kids are in a soccer league. And in my son's four-year-old soccer league, two dads almost got into it. Right? And, and it was because they never lived out their soccer dream. And so now they have an opportunity to live that out through their four-year-old. On a Saturday morning, as they approach another father around a lot of other fathers and kids and almost get into a, a fight. So many of us pressure our kids, and maybe not just when they're little, as they get older in their teenage years, of what success is and always pushing them for that. Listen, you need to equip and empower your kids, absolutely. But, but sometimes we need to step back and think, are we pressuring them too much so that we don't provoke them to anger so that we're gracious? A good way to provoke to anger is to be angry all the time, right? A good way to provoke anger is to always be angry, always be yelling. And you need to know as a parent that if you go there, like if it's always, hey, clean up your room. Hey, clean up your room. 
Hey, if I have to tell you one more time, clean up your room, and then they do it, and you don't pull them aside before that and say, hey, when, when daddy speaks, you listen. Does daddy love you? Yes. Does daddy want what's best for you? Yes. What's best for you is so you can clean up your room. You know those toys you never find? It's because you don't clean up your room. You need to get some organization in your life. And as a parent, I know it doesn't always look pretty like that. We can be honest with each other. But you need to try. You need to make that effort. And I know it's hard. But if you just go to yelling, you'll always go to yelling. You know why? Because you've set a standard for your child. That mommy and daddy only mean it when they, when they yell. It's only serious. It's only important. They only actually want me to do this when they yell. And so we need to refrain from that, not provoke our kids to anger. Be gracious with them as we are firm with them. That's the next point, that we would be firm so that we wouldn't be authoritarian or permissive. Like if you look at that spectrum, you, you, we have parents probably like that in this room. You, you see parents like that, authoritarian. Their kids can't do anything. They're smothered. And then we have the parents who are permissive. Their kids are always like jumping off rooftops. And you're like, I don't, think, I don't think you should let your kid do that. And you're worried whether you should say something. You feel kind of awkward, right? We don't want to be authoritarian or permissive. What we want to do is be firm, that we bring up in discipline, that we give correction with consistency. And you say, well, how does that work with love and grace? Well, you just look at our vertical relationship. How does God love us? Well, the Bible says sometimes he disciplines the ones he loves. So you need to know as parents and those who partner with our parents, love isn't enabling destructive behavior. It's not. It's not just sitting back and saying, well, that makes them happy as they jump off the roof. They're going to break their leg. And as parents, the most loving thing we can do is tell them, get down. That, that in parenting, it's not love to say, well, they're going to go out to the clubs anyway. They're going to get drunk anyway. Might as well have a party at the house and just hold the keys, right? That's not love. You're enabling destructive behavior. That is hate. And, and so we need to be firm as parents. We need to bring them up in discipline. We need to give them guardrails in life and say, hey, you need to stay within these lanes, God is gracious, but if you go outside of these lanes, sexually, financially, there's going to be pain, and I don't want that for you. And so as parents, we need to be firm. We need to just practically, as we combine this grace with being firm, we need to make sure our kids know when we discipline them that the relationship is never up for grabs, right? And so sometimes my kids disobey. I don't know if that shocks you, but it happens, right? Some of you have been in our community group. You've seen my kids disobey. Some of you have been at church, and you've seen me pull aside my kids. I discipline my children, right? I lovingly discipline my children. But most of the time, what I try to do is in the immediate uh, first step of that, I try to tell my kids 7 to, to 18 months, hey, hey, I love you. I love you too much to let you disobey. And so we're going to talk about this. What you just said to, to mom, what you just did at school, we're going to deal with that. We're not going to be permissive parents and just let that slide. We're going to talk about that. We're going to deal with that. But you need to know up front, that has nothing to do with our relationship. 
that I love you, I'm here for you, I'm for you. And because of that, precisely because of that, we're going to talk about this. Does this make sense? Because why? Who do we, who do we parent like? Who, who are we resembling when we father and mother like that? Our heavenly father. That's how he loves us. That's how he disciplines us. If you've been disciplined by God, you don't think, well, why, God, why would you do this to me? No, you think, God must really love me. I must be secure in him, and he's going to reprove me because he wants what's best for me. We do the same thing as parents. We're, we're firm. We show them this is for their joy. And listen, as parents, you have to believe that. Like, sometimes we don't discipline because we just think, well, I don't want to bully my kids. I don't want to deprive them. I don't want to hold out on them. You need to know that this is for their joy in a grace-oriented way. It's for their their joy. And you have to believe that. You have to be committed to that as a parent, and then you have to let your kid know that as well. You have to apologize and repent when you do this wrong, right? That, that we don't always come across as the one who has it all together, that you're messing up, and I'm going to correct you because, listen, there's two sinful people in this relationship, right? The parent and the child. They're all sinful. And so as parents, we need to repent to our kids. We need to have times when we say, hey, I got angry. I shouldn't have yelled. I got out of hand with mom or with the guy at the grocery store or with the kids at home, that you need to have those times where you repent. Why? What's the biggest thing as Christians that you want for your kids? To repent and believe in Jesus. How will they ever know how to do that if they never see you do that? So, husbands, you need to repent to your wife. And you need to let your kids in on that process sometimes. You need to, as hard as it is, to humble yourself and go to your 5-year-old or your 10-year-old or, or, God forbid, your teenager at 14 and say, Hey, I messed up in this. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? We need to model repentance to our kids as we're gracious and firm with them. And and we need to allow the gospel to inform the way we do that. That we need to realize, come to to grips with as parents, that we're not perfect, Jesus is. That he has forgiven us so that we can forgive them, we can repent to them. So if we really understand the gospel, we will walk in repentance, we'll be gracious, we'll be firm, and then we'll be wise. That we give instruction, we give the what and the why. That parents, your responsibility is to teach your kids. We talked about marriage last week. That if one of the main goals of marriage is is friendship, one of the primary goals of parenting is teaching. That all of life that you're teaching them, that you're training them up in Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 6 talks about this, the importance of teaching in the home all the way down the road of life, that as a church, we get one hour a week with your kids. And that's if they're fully attentive and listening. We get one hour a week. Parents, you get the other 167. Like, you get all of that. How could you ever think over the course of the year that in one hour a week, the church can fix your child? They can't. We can't. 
you have that responsibility. You have that opportunity. Now, do we want to equip you, empower you? Absolutely. That's why we make little disciples of Jesus in our kids' ministry. And don't just babysit them while you're in here. Right? We want to equip you and empower that, but you have an enormous opportunity as parents to teach your kids. Are, are other people in here who aren't parents, you have the enormous opportunity to teach our kids, to teach them in three ways, to teach them in the everyday stuff of school and church, that, that when you're co- dropping them off at school, even when you're coming to church, even when you're leaving church, that you could ask a simple question, and it's this. Do you know why? Do you know why we do this? You know why you go to school? You know why we make you do your homework? Do you know why we go to church? Do you know why we stand up and sing songs? Do you know why we kneel to pray? Do you know why we read God's word? Do you know why we memorize it? Now, you need to be prepared to have some answers to those questions, right? If they're like, I don't know why, and you're just like, I don't know, you tell me. Bam. That's not what we do. You need to be prepared to answer those questions. And some of you, that is scary. is because you're thinking right now, Tim, I don't know if I know why. And so as parents, listen, the onus is on us. The responsibility is ours. And so we need to, with desperation, we need to go to Jesus ourselves. We need to go to God's word ourselves. We need to memorize it ourselves. If you don't know why we do that, you need to get around some other people that remind you why. You need to pray and ask God, like, what are you trying to do in this service? I mean, do we just stand up and sit down and and talk through finances and talk through scripture just because it's something we do as a society because it looks good on the outside? And you would begin to realize, no. There's a why behind this. We look at scripture. We, we experience community. We, we hear the preaching of God's word. We walk in humility. We sing songs because there's something broken inside of us, and Jesus has made that whole through the cross and the resurrection. That's our only hope and joy in life as parents. And once we begin to understand that, we can explain the why to our kids, and we can teach them in the everyday stuff of life why we do things. The second thing is that we teach them when we discipline them. We shepherd their heart. All right, so I mentioned it already. We, we talk about, do, do we love you? Right, if they say no, that's a conversation, right? Uh, do mommy and daddy want what's best for you? If they say no, that's a, that's a teaching moment right there that we can teach them even when we discipline them. And the third thing that we would teach proactively, that we wouldn't wait till something breaks. And so my wife and I are getting ready to have the sex talk with my seven-year-old. And some of you are thinking, like, seven? Is that too early? But listen, here's, here's our approach, and, and I'm freaking out a little bit as a dad, to be honest with you. But I'm, I'm bought in, I'm sold on this idea that we want to teach our kids things before they break. That I don't want to wait till my daughter is 15 when she has all the falsities from our culture ingrained in her head and her heart about sex before I then say, hey, you know the birds and the bees? You know about that? Let's have that conversation. And she just dismisses me. I want to do that on the front end. I want to teach her on the front end. And listen, I want to let her know that when it comes to things like sex, that Mommy and daddy are the experts. 
right? You know what I'm saying? We know how to do this. We've done this. Your friends at school, they don't know what they're talking about, right? They're not the experts. And listen, I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up thinking my friends were the experts. The movies, the songs, they really knew what sex was about. And maybe my parents, they didn't even know because they never said anything about it. And so maybe they don't even know what it is. Maybe they've never done it before. Like they must not have because they've never even spoken about it. Like have you experienced that? How'd that go? How's that going for our culture? Like it's not going very well. And so we need to, on the front end as parents, dads, you need to lead the way in this, especially with our daughters. And listen, I'm here with you on this. I'm freaked out of my mind about having this conversation. I don't want to have it. But I know what's best for my daughter in the end is if I teach proactively, that I lay a foundation that she can come to us, that she doesn't have to hide, she doesn't have to lie, that nothing is off limits. And again, that's where the repentance comes in. We're laying a foundation of repentance, a culture of repentance, that we're letting our daughter know, hey, this is the way God designed it, that we want you to walk down that path. It's a beautiful one. It won't always be easy. It'll be hard, but we want you to walk down that path. Here's the path. And that if you walk another path, there's going to be pain. There's going to be sorrow. But even in those moments, you can repent. You can turn to God. He's gracious. He's loving. He'll forgive you. And mommy and daddy will too. And we would have that conversation. We would proactively teach our kids So teach them in the everyday stuff. Teach them when you discipline them. Teach them proactively before something breaks. And listen, some of you have older kids, maybe even out of the house, and you're wondering, well, what does it look like for me? How do I teach my kids? I just think of my dad. Even now, my dad walks in incredible humility with me. He'll call me up, and he'll just talk through things with me. He doesn't command me. He counsels me, right? There's less deciding for me, and there's more advising me because I'm older, right? And so some of you have kids that are older, and you're thinking, Tim, I think I, I missed the boat. I, I think I've ruined this thing. No, you haven't. It, it's never too late. You're never too far gone for the gospel. Your kids are never too far gone for gospel-saturated parenting. It's not too late. You can still teach them. It may look different. It may be more advising instead of deciding. It may be counseling instead of commanding. We see an example of this in Proverbs. A father is writing to a son, and he talks about everything. Have you read Proverbs? It's a letter from a father to a son about finances, about sex. And what you see in there, and you can go read that, and you can use this with your older kids. You can read about um, how to give counsel, explanation, and wisdom, because that's what he does in Proverbs. He talks about, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. If you do this, you need to know what's behind that, and that you can do that with your kids no matter what age they are, and that we would teach our kids in that way. When we lead our kids this way, when we're gracious, firm, and wise, you know who we point to? We point to our Heavenly Father. We see a beautiful picture of our horizontal relationship with our kids, reflecting a vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father, that it's a theology of grace vertically, and it's a theology of grace horizontally. Do you see it? 
that Paul is laying that out for us just in these few verses. And so I just want to spend a couple more moments explaining what that looks like practically. How do we get to the heart of our kids? The first thing I want you to see of of how we live this out is that we don't lose sight of prayer in all of the practical. Listen, you go to a store, you'll see a magazine on parenting. You flip on the TV, you'll see a talk show about parenting. Again, from, from toddler to teen. Right? You'll see a lot of practical, helpful strategies. And those aren't bad. But remember, as Christians who follow Jesus, who have a heavenly father who has been gracious to us, we don't just want obedience. We're not looking for simply uh, morality. That's the rest of the world. We're, we're different because of Jesus. We want to see a grace-oriented parenting. We want to see a God-saturated parenting. The only way that happens is through prayer. The best thing you can do for your kids is to pray with them, to pray for them, to pray about the the meaningless stuff in their day. When we ask our kids to pray, it's like a comedy show, right? You don't know what's going to come out of their mouths, but you want to practice that now. It's the cumulative effect of, of praying time after time. It doesn't have to be a sit down hour prayer. I think as parents, maybe specifically as fathers, we start to feel guilty about this, and we start to think about quality time, and maybe other people have uh, have put pressure on you in this way, and you're like, you never spend time with our kids, and so we just think, well, I've got to do like a day retreat. I mean, and if I can't, then I might as well just watch sports. Right? Have you been there? I have. Listen, you need to resist that influence. What you need to do is take those five-minute nuggets while you're driving in the car. Those times before dinner and at dinner, those times before bed and in the morning, you need to influence your kids. You need to pray with them. Just say, hey, hey, let's, let's pray for a little bit. What do you want to pray for? You want to pray about candy? That's fine. Uh, you want to pray about your friends at school? That's fine. You want to pray about your activities? That's fine. Let's, let's pray. Let's cultivate time with our kids as we pray for them. And then you also want to pray for the bigger things. You want to pray thoughts of God. You want to pray God's word. You want to pray, listen, for their salvation. That you as a parent, you have no ability. You have no ability to change your, your child. You have no ability to, to cultivate a heart of obedience in your child. You know who does? The Holy Spirit. The best gift your child could ever receive is not a strategy, it's the Spirit of God. And so we want to pray for that. We want to pray for that every day, every night. You want to pray for that with them. And they're like, Daddy, what are you talking about? Jesus, love Jesus more than you love me. That, that we tell our kids um, before they go to bed at night, right before we say, Who loves you more? than mommy and daddy, and they know now, it's Jesus. And we talk to them about the cross and the resurrection and how they need Jesus, that they are so sweet, but they are so sinful. And we tell them that, and we point them to Jesus. We need to pray for our kids that God would save them and indwell them with his Holy Spirit. The second thing we do is love our spouse well. I won't go into this. We talked about this last week. Some of the best ways you can parent your child is to love your, your spouse, to date your spouse, to let them see what a relationship, a godly relationship looks like, that they see you repent, 
to your spouse. They see you have conflict, right? You don't always just kick them out of the house when you have conflict. You let them have a peek in on that, and you do it well. You fight clean. You show grace. You forgive. You repent. That we would do that with our spouses as our kids watch along the way. That we would cultivate relationship and not just criticize behavior. And so this is where you don't provoke your kid to anger by just giving the rules. Rules are important. Guardrails are important. But dads, especially, if the only thing you do is come home, and I've been guilty of this. I come home after a long day at work, and I walk in the door, and what do I see? I see toys. I see sometimes the toothbrushes on the floor, right? Some of your parents, some of you aren't parents are shocked by that. That's because you don't have kids. That's a regular occurrence, right? I come home and I see all this, and my first response is, guys, what did we say about putting the toothbrush where it goes? What did we say about putting the toys in the toy room? I, I don't give them a hug. I don't lift them up. I don't, I don't love them. I don't ask them how their day was. Immediately, I go to, to discipline and correction. We need to resist that. Not that we don't talk about it, but it's not the first thing we talk about when we come home. Moms, as you're with your kids a lot, that, that you would have a, 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 an intentional times where you cultivate relationship and you don't just criticize behavior, where you do fun things with your kids. What we do as parents is we do dates with our kids. And so I have three of them, so it's a lot of dates, but we make it happen, right? I watch a couple kids. My wife takes uh, my son to a movie or to do something else. She does the same for me, that we cultivate relationship. That when your parents think, uh, when your kids think of you, they don't just think of the criticism. They think of the relationship. Uh, that you would make that an intentional time. You would put that on the calendar. One simple thing uh, that we do as parents, and again, we have younger kids. Maybe this would work with older kids. I don't know. Um, but we have them stand up on the chair at dinner, right? Have your older kid do that. That would be amazing. We have, we have them stand up on the chair at dinner. Just every once in a while, we have one of them stand up, and everybody goes around the table and just says what we love about that, that kid, like what ex- excites us about our relationship with them, what we think is funny about that kid. And we just have them stand up, and we encourage, and we cultivate relationship. You can find ways to do that with your kids. The, the fourth thing is that we would partner with the church. So it is your responsibility to shepherd your child's heart, but as I said at the beginning, it takes a village, right? More appropriately, it takes a church. Some of you are in here and you don't have kids, you don't want kids. Listen, we need your help, right? Parenting is difficult. We need to come together as as a church family to raise up our kids in the name of Jesus. And listen, partnership doesn't look like you just drop off your kids at church and hope it goes well. No, you get involved. We have an amazing kids ministry. We've already talked about it today. We use a curriculum called Dig In. There's take-home sheets every Sunday with really easy ways to follow up on what your kids learned on Sunday. You would take those home, and you would actually work through them and not just toss them in the trash, right? That Christmas is coming up. Christmas Eve, you're not going to want to miss it. We have a a PBC Kids presentation. Kids are going to read Scripture, sing Scripture in songs. Uh, one little girl is going to do that, and let me just tell you, she's been up here before, if you remember that. You that are laughing have, 
you need to be here for that, right? You're going to want to be here for that. But not just that. You want to help them along the way learn those songs. Talk about what is a baby in a manger? Why? Why? What's a manger? And you want to talk about the story of Jesus' birth. You want to use these opportunities to partner with the church. We want to help you, equip you, empower you as a church to do that. We want you to serve in kids' ministry. My wife today is teaching the large group of kids. And listen, if I'm not mistaken, she is the only, or rather, there is no male that does that. That all of the, the people who do that teach to the large group. There's about 30 to 40 kids. They stand up in front of all these kids. You think you guys are intimidating to teach to? Wait till you teach kids. And all of the people who do that are women in our church. Now, I love that. I love that. My wife's in there doing it right now. I love that. She prepared to do that. I love that. But listen, that needs to change. That the men, that we need to be teaching our kids that fathers, Paul stresses fathers, there's a reason for that. Men, we need to take the onus. In the church, as we partner with the church, we need to be teaching our kids. You know, as dads, especially in a state like Arizona, with our little daughters, we like to talk about getting the shotgun, right? We like to talk about, I'm going to get the shotgun and, and protect my daughter. You know what your daughter needs to see? She doesn't need to see you with a shotgun. She needs to see you with a Bible, she needs to see you teaching God's word, like breaking down scripture. And some of you dads are thinking, well, I, I don't know how to do that. Let's get together. Let's equip you. Our, our curriculum in kids' ministry specifically is very easy. It walks you through exactly what to say, exactly how to do that. This would grow your relationship with God as a man. Listen, my prayer is that that would change. It wouldn't just be a rotation of four women teaching our kids. They do a phenomenal job. I want them in there, but we need to see our men. We need to see our men with a big, fat Bible and opening it up with our kids, and they're crawling all over your legs, and you're telling them about Jesus. Can we change that? Some of our men, can you sign up to teach in kids the large group once a month, once every six weeks today? so that we can pass on our faith to the next generation? Can we change that? Let's change that. Let's make it a culture in our church, Phoenix Bible Church, that our men, they lead, they teach. Some of you men, I know you, you want to be up on a stage like this. You want to teach to the masses, right? Uh, that, that leadership starts with servanthood. If we're going to teach on those occasions, on those stages, we need to teach our, our kids. You need to start there. And so listen, my prayer is that would, that would change. I pray that you would join me in that. Uh, there's a need for this. There's a need to partner with the church. The Fuller Youth Institute did a study that said about 50 kids, 50% of kids in America grow up in the church and they end up abandoning their faith. That means if we have 40 kids on a Sunday, 20 of them will end up leaving the church. There's a need, right? There's a need to partner with the church. It's a big prayer of mine that we would pass this on, that we wouldn't just see, again, the, the mom or the dad getting baptized. We would see the kid as well. And lastly, that we would proclaim the gospel daily and creatively, creatively with our kids at home, that the Bible calls us to make disciples of all nations, to love our neighbor. You know who's included in that? You know the first people who are included in your neighbor? The ones that sleep in the room next to you, Right? The ones that are in your house, they're your neighbor. You know who the nations are? You know who that starts with? 
your house, your city, right where you live with your kids, that we would proclaim the gospel daily and creatively. I just want to give you a few ways to do that, some Bibles that you can go out and get. You think, how do I do this? Here's some ways to do that. The first one is the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is a great Bible. It's a starter Bible with stories. It's Jesus-centered. A lot of Bibles for kids, I'm going to just let you in on this, are not. And this one is. You need to go get this one and read it with your kids. Once they get a little bit older and are ready for a real Bible uh, with notes and still has illustrations, the ESV Following Jesus Bible, we have that one. It's good for really any age. Um, You can read the Bible with your kids. Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing is a devotional that's very Jesus-centered as well. It's really short and brief. Again, just those little few minutes every day. You can read that with your kids. The Action Bible is amazing. It's the same illustrator as, as Marvel Comics. And so listen, we don't need to overthink this, right? You just need to buy one of these Bibles and begin somewhere. Start somewhere. With my son, one of his favorite things to do is act out the Action Bible. And so we just read Nehemiah, and in some, in, in some way in his imagination, he, he thinks of Nehemiah as a ninja. And so I just let him think that. And, and we have ninja Nehemiah, and he's acting out. He's building the wall. He's scaling it, right? He's doing little turns and twists off the wall. And he's learning the story of Nehemiah. Don't overthink it. Have fun with this. Start somewhere. Get one of these Bibles and teach your kids. Proclaim the gospel to them because... They need Jesus. I know as we talk about all this, this is heavy, right? We talked about finances and parenting on one day, right? The full gamut. I know it's heavy. I know you feel guilty as parents. I know you feel tired as parents. I know some of you are thinking, Tim, you make it sound so good, but you're a pastor. It's not that easy. Listen, I know it's hard, and that's the beauty of God's glorious grace. It applies to you as the parent. Uh, Paul Tripp, this book that we talked about, uh, Parenting, he said this. I want you to hear it. He said, God's grace frees you from having to deny your weaknesses. That biblical faith never requires that you deny reality. And some, some of you are parents this morning. You need to admit, it's hard. I'm tired. I don't know what to do. You can admit that because of God's grace. He's not going to judge you because you say it's hard. He's going to meet you with his grace. He is going to empower you and equip you to parent your child like this. We need to take that step of faith this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the parents in this room. I thank you that for those that might be parents one day. God, I pray that you would help them in your grace admit that it's hard Admit that they don't have it together so that you might intervene and empower and equip them to parent like you parent us. God, I pray against any thought of doubt or evil that just says this is only for a few select people, that, that I can't do this. God, that, that in your power, in your spirit's power, in the name of Jesus, every one of our parents in there, in this room, can do this. And that everyone in this room who's not a parent can partner with us to do this. That we can do this together as a church to raise up disciples of Jesus who worship him and love him for eternity. Help us to do that as we pray. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen.